I would say that it has been a wonderful privilege once again to work with these two men and everybody that's been involved. It's not just constricted or confined to them, but um, sometimes amongst preachers, and Brother Miller, you'll know this, Pastor Miller, you'll know this, when you, there can be some competition or <clears throat> attitudes or spirits that can get in the way of God working. And I would just say to you, there's been none of that with these two men. And I appreciate that. And I'm grateful for their, their graciousness and just whatever you want, whatever you need, whenever you need it. You know, a lot of times guys want to come in, they want to know exactly when they're speaking, they want to know exactly what this is and exactly when that is. And we've really tried to be led of the Lord this week about who spoke when and how it worked. And Brother Fisher was a blessing coming in as he did and helping us out. And we didn't know until last week that was going to be the case. And just a, a little bit of all of that. And then amongst the music, same way, Brother Danny's been wonderful to work with. And they yield to one another and... Uh, Pastor Mears has uh, participated in that. Brother Tim, you know, this is, this is where he leads singing and all of that every week. And so it's a wonderful blessing and the special music just popping up. I know the song that was, you just heard was one that Elijah wrote. Uh, the, uh, Elijah sitting at the piano, he wrote it and got the young men to sing it with him instead of him just singing it by himself. You follow me? And that has been the spirit all week long. It's been tremendous. And I just uh, I want to thank all of you for being flexible, and ladies helping out in the in the kitchen, uh, in the orchestra. You can see different people, different churches. Brother Service brought people down. Brother Workman brought people. Uh, there were some that came over from uh, Christian Torres' church over here in Riverside, our sister church, uh, our neighbor church, I should say. And just a wonderful blessing. And Pastor Pisano, how good to see you, sir. I appreciate you being here. And it just, just, I appreciate that. And it's been an absolute joy. Uh, I want to give to you tonight something I hope would be helpful and maybe kind of put a cap on so many, so many sweet and wonderful messages that have been preached this week that we needed, I needed, and I'm grateful for it. And so I just want to try to give this to you a little bit. If the Lord gets into it, that'd be great. But I just want to try to uh, impart this message to you and let you take this from here. And uh, hopefully it'll be a blessing. Look with me, please, uh, at First uh, Samuel in chapter number 16. As we come into a situation here, verse number 14, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And I don't know if you and I can understand all that that means. Uh, maybe in your walk with God, you have experienced some evil trouble. Uh, but this certainly is something whereby he has the, the Spirit of the Lord helping him, and then the Spirit of the Lord departs from him, and that's replaced then by an evil spirit from the Lord. And how that changed his life, his mentality, his thinking, his confidence, his courage, all of that uh, must have been a lot of turmoil. And they understood it. His men that got around him probably understood it very well. 
as he may have been short with them or ugly toward them or mean-spirited toward them and hateful toward them. And uh, maybe they talked amongst themselves and said, we need to do something about this. And notice, if you will, the conversation just a little bit. Saul said unto his servants, verse 17, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Find somebody who is musical, someone who can play music well and bring him to me. And it's suggested that David be the man, you know that. And then, of course, they send to Jesse in verse number 19, send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and notice this phrase, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. He loved him greatly and sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. It wasn't a pill. It wasn't some kind of a drug that he was able to take, any of that but it was sweet music played by David upon the harp that helped him. He said, I don't want him to leave. You got to leave him here with me. It came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was, say it with me, refreshed and was well. And the evil spirit departed from him. Father, help us as we look to thy word tonight, and I pray that you would kind of just seal these things in our heart that we've heard this week and make the message what it needs to be, for thy honor, for thy glory. Would you come down and meet with us? Be amongst us. Touch us where we need to be touched, when we need to be touched. Alert us that a particular thing you say into our heart is for us. Nudge us, draw us closer to you, and uh, give us better understanding as, as we need it. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to, if I can, have you hold your place here, and I want you to go to the New Testament with me, and uh, Matthew chapter number 5. One of the things that I wrestle with, and I guess maybe other preachers as well, is the placement of verses, sometimes this verse before that verse, and that verse here, and that verse there. Well, tonight, I hope that the order of the, these verses is helpful to us in how God would lay this out. Look with me, please, at verse number 46. Uh, verse 45, excuse me. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Now, what is he speaking about when he says there's a likeness with the Father? Notice with me, please, verse 43. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. You ever see something in the Bible and you think you're not sure if you like how it's said? Like if you're to be accountable to the way that it's spoken? 
that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? He said, that's not hard to do. We do the best for people that we love. And that's usually people who are good to us. You don't mind doing good to somebody who does good to you. It's easy. It's easy to treat somebody kindly if they are kindly to you. You don't mind doing much for people if they love you and you love them. We're usually very happy. We're very cheerful about serving people who we love. How about serving or loving someone that's mean to you? How about somebody who's hateful to you? Somebody that's ugly toward you? How does ministry and service change whenever somebody is unkind and mean and hateful? Notice verse Number 46 again, for if you love them that love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? The publicans can do that. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect even as your Father, which in, is in heaven, is perfect. Go with me please back over to First Samuel if you would. It's been so much this week. I feel like I'm so full. I was talking with the, the men in the office and I feel like I got molasses kind of in my, in my brain and in my mouth as I'm just processing all this because there's so much that the Lord has given to us this week, so much good stuff. David comes into a situation here and the Bible says that Saul loved him greatly. David... Uh, David's introduction to the king, if you will, is a sweet introduction. And then there's this interruption that happens and uh, Goliath comes out and he makes this statement. And I'm not going to go all through this, but David is sent on an errand by his father to go out and to see how his brethren fare. As he gets out there, he hears the statement that Goliath makes. And, and David uh, says to the men and also to King Saul, said, don't worry about him. I can take care of him. The Lord will help me take care of him. And so David inserts himself, and you know how the battle goes. It was talked to us a little bit about this morning, and David kills Goliath, chops off his head, and, and it just transforms everybody's thinking. Notice verse number 55 of chapter 17. When Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. David, kind of insignificant, he's somebody that not many people knew or uh, had heard of or, or, or had spent any time around. And the king said, inquire thou whose son the stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with, his head, with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Notice that he hadn't even let go of the head yet, carrying around the head dripping blood. Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse the Bethanite. 
It came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Oh, more love that we see here. Look at verse number five with me, please. David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Everybody loves David. It's a sweet time. It's a victory time. It's a rejoicing time. It's a celebratory sign. There's a bonding that takes place here. They're working together, working as one. They're working in one accord. David is a celebrated hero. The victory was made possible because of him, because of his courage. He goes out against Goliath and he wins the battle. It was very good for a while. He's receiving gifts. He's got favor with the important people. He's got the respect of the people. He's promoted. The ladies start writing songs about him. Like you do with legends and heroes. And then something very unexpected happens in David's life. Notice verse number 10. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul. And he prophesied. In the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times, but something didn't work the same this time. There was a javelin in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Of course, the Bible says that Saul was afraid of him. He was afraid of David. Then notice, if you will, verse 13, therefore Saul removed him from him and made him captain over a thousand. He gets demoted. And he went out and he came in before the people. And Saul turned on him. While David is in the midst of strumming for peace in Saul's life, Saul's thinking turns very dark. Evil thoughts come up in his mind against David. He takes the javelin and he proves hate toward him. What was that all about? I don't even know if all the the balloons from the celebration party were popped yet or if they had deflated when Saul tries to nail David to the wall. And then a second javelin comes. Look at chapter number 19, verse 1. And Saul spake to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Make it hard to serve somebody if they have that kind of an attitude toward you. Verse number nine, and the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in the house with the javelin in his hand. And David played with his hand, trying to calm his spirit, trying to ease that that evil spirit from the Lord. And Saul sought to smite David to the wall with the javelin. He slipped out of uh, Saul's presence. He smote the javelin into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Wow. This is a guy who had been greatly loved. I thought I was loved here. And then, by that time, the second javelin has come and David knows that it wasn't a fluke. Well, maybe just the first time it happened, it slipped. Maybe he really didn't mean it. Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it was some accident that happened. It was just Saul having a bad day. 
David could write it off and everything could be okay. No. Saul was done with David. And David was going to have to come to grips with that. What was it that changed? What did David do? He faced, he fought, he defeated the giant. Saul wouldn't even do that. He was scared of the giant. And as you read more, you find that David didn't understand this. It was very difficult to come to grips with something that you don't understand. That when you love somebody and when you serve somebody and it does not come back to you in kind. And from Saul's standpoint, uh, it, it, it made sense. But from his standpoint, it didn't make any sense. Saul thinks, I've got to eliminate this guy. He's in the way. It's going to make my life better. And David's looking and saying, what did I do? Look at chapter 20, verse number 1. David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity? What is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? Why has this happened? And of course, Jonathan uh, tries to proclaim that it's not so. And they work out a way to kind of figure this issue out. Jonathan's going to find out that it certainly was true. And what we see is that it was also difficult for him to accept that his own father hated David because it didn't make any sense to him either. When you consider all that David had done for the kingdom, it didn't make sense for anybody that had any sense. Look at verse number 32. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. Now he sees it. He didn't want to see it, but he could see it. Be careful asking. That javelin could come for you next. Look at chapter 24 with me, please. David was ready for Goliath, but David was not ready for Saul. David was caught off guard by Saul. And as it turned out, David was not going to be able, now listen to this, to return in kind. Notice, if you will. It came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Vinjeti. And Saul is going to take a bunch of men. They're going to go and they're going to seek after David. The Bible says, And he came to the sheepcoats by the way where was a cave. And Saul went in and covered his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, kind of maybe whispering, if you will. Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee. I don't know, maybe they use sign language, Mrs. LeVon. Behold, I would deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and he cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. He couldn't respond in kind. He did something less. It came to pass afterwards that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. Notice how God dealt with this man who the Spirit of God is with him. 
He said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul, but Saul rose up out of the cave and went, out, went on his way. And David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord! Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. My Lord, the king. He bows down before him. He couldn't do what Saul did. It seems so easy for Saul to do it. But not for David. He was only able to cut the king's skirt because his heart was not evil and mean towards Saul. He didn't understand how Saul could do so easily to him these things. What have I now done? He didn't understand it. And then he bowed himself to the earth. Wow. Look at chapter 24. Look at verse number 9. David obviously wanted it to be known He wanted Saul to understand. Wherefore hearest thou men's words? Notice what David said to Saul. Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord hath delivered thee today into my hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand. Look at the evidence of how I could have done something ugly and vile to you. For in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand. And I have not sinned against thee. Yet thou huntest my soul to take it. The Lord judged between me and thee. The Lord avenged me of thee. But mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the Proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. I'm not in that class. I'm not in that category of wicked people who who have to get their advance and take advantage of others. I'm not with that. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a, a dead dog? After a flea? I'm nothing. The Lord therefore be judge and judge between me and thee and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of thine hand. I'm going to turn this over to the Lord. Look, I had an opportunity to kill you in the cave, but I I couldn't do it. I don't have anger in my heart towards you. I don't have animosity in my heart towards you. I don't have hate towards you. I can't do what you did. Yet another time, look at chapter 26. I won't take time for all of this, but just to see that this is an ongoing challenge. 
Look at verse number three. Saul pitched in the, in the hills of Hecala, which is before Jeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness and saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. You see, you see Saul coming after him. He's being chased. Once again, he, he, his uh, Lord is, is trying to destroy him. In verse number uh, five, we notice there as David came to where Saul pitched, where his tent was, where he was resting. Verse number six, David took men to go with him into Saul's camp. Verse number seven, David takes the spear, his weapon, that was stuck into the ground beside where he was Sleeping. Look at verse 8. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thy hand this day. You see the same conversation coming back around. David could say, we had this conversation before. I already told you I'm not going to do it. Well, you don't have to do it. I'll do it. Now, therefore, let me smite him. You don't have to do it. I'll do it. I'll do the dirty work for you. I pray thee with the spear, even to the earth at once. And I will not smite him the second time. I'll be gentle when I kill him. Come on now. I'll delicately. I won't do it harshly. I know you're concerned about that, David. I can see that you're not for it. I just want you to know I'll just barely kill him. Why? Because he knew David's heart wasn't in it. It wasn't like David was running around all over the place saying, I hate that guy. And if I ever get a chance and I can put my hands around his neck, I'm going to choke the life out of him. David didn't talk that way. Saul was. Saul was telling everybody, bring his head to me. I'll give you a bounty. Not David. David tried it. It didn't work. So Bishai says, let me do it. Let me do your dirty work for you. And David said to Abishai, notice verse 9, destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Look at verse number 10. David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or die of natural causes, or the Lord will do it, and he shall... Uh, descend into battle and perish, but it won't be me. God will take care of his own business. God will take care of the Saul problem when he's good and ready, but not me. So if that's the way he thought, and it was, why was David there in the first place? Why did he risk getting caught and potentially getting killed? Why? Look at verse number 11. The Lord forbid it that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed, but I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water and let us go. Let's just take some evidence that we were here. Maybe the insignia of the king on his own spear. So David took the spear and he took the cruise of water from Saul's bolster. and They got them away and no man saw it nor knew it, neither awaked, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon them. Sneak into camp and they're protected because the Lord is helping them. Look at verse number 17, please. And Saul knew David's voice and said, Is 
This thy voice, my son? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. It's me. Can I say to you, that's not the tone of an enemy? My lord, the king? Yes, my lord. I'm not your enemy. Look at verse number 18. Wherefore doth my Lord thus pursue after his servant? For what have I done or what evil is in mine hand? Do you see it? He goes on to say, if the Lord's the one that's stirring you up, then let him take an offering. That's fine. If this is something God wants to stir you up against me, then so be it. But if it's men, if you're listening to men, and they're the ones that are doing this, don't listen to men. If there's others that are trying to prevent me from fellowship, look at verse 19. I pray thee, let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If the Lord hath stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it be the children of men, cursed be they before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. I want you to notice, God, if, it, if it's you, okay. But if it's men, they've driven me out from fellowshipping with the inheritance of the Lord. David wanted back. He didn't like being displaced. He didn't want to be in this particular position. And he wanted to make sure that, that these things were clear in, in, in Saul's mind. He wanted him to know. I'm not out trying to hurt you. Why are you out trying to hurt me? And then I want you to notice verse 22, if you will. We skip over some of these verses, but notice verse 22. Behold the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and fetch it. I like this part. He gave him back his spear. What is he doing? Well, he ran him off with a javelin, but now he's giving him back his spear. He's rearming him so that he could do it again. I'll give you another opportunity if that's really what you want. What a thing. What vulnerability is this? And then they depart nicely. And I don't know if he ever sees him again in this life. It seems very easy for some people, but it doesn't seem easy for others. Some people seem to have no problem or little problem doing evil toward others. They can be mean-spirited. They can be unkind. True. You can be nice to them and they won't be nice to you even if you're nice to them. Others might see you as weak or weakened. And they might try to maybe get in on it if you're that way. And I won't take time to read it, but that was Naboth. Every man runs away from his master these days. You're not getting anything from me. He wanted to get in on it. He's the kind of guy that would kick you when you're down. Open season on David. Let's all beat up on David. Let's all walk and trample upon David. Let's all disrespect David. Everybody's doing it. David was nice to him and David was nice to his men, but he got to kick David while he was down and out. But for Abigail. She's the wonderful counterbalance that comes into David's life. 
She stopped David with a soft answer that turned away wrath. David, David, listen. Don't do this. His name suits him. Don't respond in kind. God's going to provide for you. God's going to meet your needs. You don't need to do this. Don't put your trust in Nabal. Trust in God. She stopped David. Now listen, listen. She stopped David with love. Listen, listen, one more time. Listen. Love for David and love for her husband. She's protecting both of them. Why did Nabal feel he could treat David so badly? Because he saw Saul doing it. And for David, David had no problem fighting Goliath. He'd fight, he'd fight Goliath again. He wasn't scared of Goliath. But his heart wasn't hurting, wasn't in hurting one of his own kind. Even when one of his own kind had no problem hurting him. And when it came time for Saul to die, what did David do? Did he, did he cheer about the bad news or this good news that he heard? Your enemy's dead. Praise the Lord for that. Did he dance on his grave? Did he rejoice at the loss? Did, did, he, did he cheer it? No, the Bible says that David mourned. He mourned when he heard it. He mourned when he heard it. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Bless them. Bless them. Can you pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you? For those that say all manner of evil against you falsely, can you do that? Can you rejoice for the persecution? Can you pray for your enemies as we've been commanded to do? How do you pray for those who've done wrong to you? How do you pray for their success and how do you pray for their happiness? How, do you, how, how can you pray with cheer that good things may happen for them? How, how in any kind of context whatsoever you want to work it out in your mind what all that means, how do you do that? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 with me please. Look at verse... Chapter 12, verse 15. David, or excuse me, Paul made some statements. He had the care of all the church upon him. We know that. Said at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. I'm not upset about it. I I don't want them to get in trouble for it. I'm just letting you know what happened. I want you to notice verse number 15, 2 Corinthians 12. After he's talked about his thorn in the flesh, which we heard about the other night. Notice, if you will. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Now listen to me. What a learning curve that is.
Have you had a little taste of that ministry? You talk about vulnerable. Stephen kind of picked up on that, if you will, with death surging through their veins, hate, violence, viciousness being hurled at him. His lips retained abundant grace. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Just as loud as he could say it. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Is that our Christianity? Goliath, he's easy to kill. David was ready for Goliath. He could fight the lion and the bear, no problem. But what about Saul? Joab had no problem whatsoever killing Absalom. But David didn't want it done. No, no, don't hurt him. Yeah, but he's coming out against you. He's trying to take your kingdom from you. He's trying to destroy you. He's gathered people in the gate. They're saying ugly things about you. He's chasing you out of your own kingdom, out of your own home. Don't hurt him. I don't want him hurt. Please don't hurt him. Please don't hurt him. How about you? Do we find it easy to throw javelins at people? Hey, David, I got really good news. Saul's finally dead. No, that's not good news. That's not good news at all. Sweet refreshment of David as he had an opportunity to play that heart for the king. And the king greatly loved him. But then there's something that came between those two men. And it was gone, gone, gone. And David wanted it back. Look with me, please, at Matthew chapter 16, please. And look at Luke chapter 22. I just want to kind of maybe gather with a few statements here and, and try to funnel this into a close. Just some things that have been on my mind. Matthew chapter 16, our dear brother took us here, I believe yesterday. Peter took him, of course, rebuked him in verse number 22. Verse number 23, he turned to Peter and he told him, he says, Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, he said, "If, If any man will come after me, Let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what it is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of the Father with the angels. Then he shall... Reward every man according to his works. Now we know, and we heard it the other night, that Peter tried to stop him. Notice chapter 22 of Luke. He didn't want him to go. Tried 
trying to talk him out of the cross, if you will. Look at verse 54. Then they took him and they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, this man was also with him. And then we heard it the other night, he begins to do what? Deny. And then he says it again, he denies. And then a third time with a curse, he denies. Verse 60, and Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crow. Notice verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. He remembered what? About denying yourself. This is the intersection of denial. The priest and the Levite talked themselves out of loving, if you will, the wounded man. It's very easy to talk ourselves out of loving an enemy. Well, they did this to me or they did that to me. It's easy to neglect them. Yeah, but you don't understand what they did to me. It's like justification for not obeying what God told us to do. It's like I don't have to because they're mean to me. I don't have to love them because they're unkind to me. Peter wept bitterly. And then notice, if you will, verse 63. Peter went out and wept bitterly. And the men that held Jesus mocked and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? After Peter's denial, did he watch Jesus show him how it's done? All he could do is watch. He couldn't stop it. Let a man deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I could call 12 legions of angels and stop all of this. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? Peter, Peter, watch how it's done. And Jesus let him spit on him and mock him. Put a crown of thorns upon his head. To deny grief, to deny heartache, to deny disappointment, to deny sorrow, to deny agony. Peter, this is how it's done. If I'm going to save the world. Dying to self to see the world saved. This is how it's done. I'm going to let them spit on me. I'm going to let them mock me. I'm going to let them put a crown of thorns on my head. I'm going to lay down and let them drive nails into my hands and my feet. And then I'm going to say this. Father, forgive them. Let me show you how it's done. You know when he showed him? How to be perfectly calibrated to heaven. Love is the perfect calibration to heaven. 
And it's the cross that's used to do the calibrating. The less I'm loved, the more I'm going to love you. Because I'm calibrated to heaven. To deny yourself is to dial in to the love of Christ. Have we done that? Stephen had. Lay not this sin to their charge. Are you calibrated to heaven? One of the challenging things that all of us will face in ministry is to be able to love people like we're supposed to love them. And if we don't love them as God has told us to love them, then we're not calibrated to heaven. We're not in tune with God. By this shall all men know you're my disciples. By what? By what? By love. It's, it, it's, it's the calibrating way. And it's done by what? Denying yourself. Taking up your cross and following him. Stand with me if you would tonight. The calibration of love. Brother Danny, if you would, go to the piano, please. I just pray that all the things that we've heard this week, maybe just take some time to seal those things in our heart tonight. How's your love? Be tough to love somebody that doesn't love you. David, I'm going to make sure that you have a heart like mine. I'm going to let you experience what it's like to be unloved. I'm going to let you experience the meanness and the ugliness of man. And then you can have a heart like mine. Perhaps the only way that we can get a heart like God's is to love our enemies as God does.